welcome to the Red Raven Games Podcast, episode 32. I'm Ryan Lockett. I'm Brenna Asplund. And I'm Mallory Lockett. How's it going? Pretty good. It's been a while yeah. since we recorded. <laughs> Can you tell we're uh, rusty? <laughs> yeah, so um, we're currently we're running the Amber Mines, uh, Near and Far Amber Mines campaign, so we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about that. And that has been going so well. We're yeah. just blown away by all the support we've gotten. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really exciting. Thanks every everybody for uh, supporting us and making this a great project. We've reached so many stretch goals, and it's really actually a lot huger than I expected it was going to be. I expected it to be like a much smaller campaign. So yep. it's been it's been exciting to see what we can cram into that box. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, and you know, it, it's. I, I guess, um, you know, it's been great to see the reaction for the game for Near and Far after having worked on it for so long and talked about it on so many podcasts and then to see that, it you know, a lot of people really liked it and and uh, seeing this campaign, you know, I, I guess I didn't expect it to be like this. So Yeah, the enthusiasm for Near and Far is still there and it's still going strong and that's really neat to see. Yeah. All the comments have been so fun to read. This is a really great crowd, actually, and we get so many awesome suggestions that show how much people are playing the game. So it's it's really cool to see how involved everyone is in that Kickstarter group this time. For yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, a lot of interesting things have happened because of that. You know, we've we've uh, we've added co-op, a co-op mode. And uh, which was a there fantastic was a... <laughs> idea, but we just didn't. Yeah, I mean, I had, I had, I had, I had, I had thrown around ideas and worked on, you know, something uh, in that in those same lines, but uh, I didn't realize what demand there was for it. Right. So I guess a lot of people are excited to play it. You know, I have heard a lot of people say, or I I've seen the comment where people say, "Oh, I wish Near and Far had been a co-op." And so for those people, um, now it is, <laughs> yeah. And, um, the, uh, so we've added co-op and then we've added minions, which are these cards that make co-op, uh, even more challenging. They add these little guys that you, these cards that you draw and you add to the town, um, and you have to deal with them or they cause problems. So that makes that that uh, encourages the teamwork aspect of the game. You know, it's it's cool because now you can trade resources like coins and gems and stuff like that. But you also have to work together because each minion card has to be defeated twice. So it's a lot better if you can be like, okay, I'll go there and, and defeat it once, and then you can go there and 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 defeat it the the second time. And we have airplanes flying by yep. <laughs> or something. I love playing in co-op mode. I think it's so much fun. I didn't, I wasn't one of the people to naturally think that we needed a co-op mode in Near and Far. It never crossed my mind. Um, and then when Ryan started designing it and we started playtesting it, I instantly loved it because it gave this feel of we're all on this adventure together. We started, you know, coordinating all of our movements and then it just felt like, a race to see how well we could do rather than, oh man, am I going to lose? Am I going to win? So it gave yeah. a completely different um, experience option for that game, which I already love, but 
yeah, it was kind of a refreshing new thing to try. Yeah. You know, it was, and it did get definitely give a different feel to the game. Yeah. So Brenna uh, said we should talk about this question. Yeah, so I wanted us to talk a bit about why we decided to make the uh, the expansion modular. So why are there bits and pieces that you can put in or take out instead of it just being a full expansion that you have to play with all of it every time, you know? Right, so I actually think this stems from uh, an old expansion I made for 8-Minute uh, Empire Legends, which had a bunch of things that you added to 8-Minute Empire. Uh, Legends, uh, it, the, the expansion was called Lost Lands, and a lot of people were, so you had to add everything in the game, and, so, and some people were like, oh, I wish I could have just added this thing, or that thing, or the other thing, and so I personally, I think that was probably a better way to go, and that's how we're going to do it for near and far. Also, it lets us, like, we don't have to... Um, we don't have to make sure that every modular thing that we want to add to the game has to work with every other modular thing. Like we can, we can in the future, if we want to do new expansions, we can say, oh, um, you know, this only works by itself. Or this works with this and this, but not with this. And it, it leaves a little more design space open. Also, it allows players to configure the game how they want, kind of like a video game. Like if I were playing... Uh, you know, uh, a video game, it'll give me a whole bo- bunch of settings that I can specifically... I always like it when video games do that. You well, know, it's yeah. like... we all have our favorite board games that have multiple expansions, and I mean, like, take Race for the Galaxy. Like, we've got all the expansions, but really, in the end, sometimes we just want to throw all the cards in and leave all those extra military tokens out yeah. and just play with the extra variety. So it's nice that you can... Um, that you can customize your house rules without yeah. having hurdles to get over when you're missing other elements that are in some of the expansion. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of people have asked about what the custom dice are. That was a stretch goal that we hit in the first few days. And the custom dice are just, they're basically like, um, so they're specifically, glow <laughs> they're glowing. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not glowing in the dark. So the first, so instead of a one, there's a re-roll on one of the sides, and they're basically an upgrade you can do in the game to like lower your your swingy luck lucky rolls, I guess. So currently we uh, we have a few new stretch goals that we I think we're gonna reach. Um, I th- in fact I it's I have a lot of confidence that we're gonna reach them. Um, one is a sheet that has all the talents in the game. Normally you have to look in the rulebook, but now you can have this card that you can pass around, and that card will also include new talents that were not in the base game. So, and then the other thing we're going to add, hopefully, are wooden magic track tokens. Instead of just, currently we're using just tents from the original game, because the original game includes extra tents um, for in case you lose one, or but also for stuff like this. Um, but we had a few requests for like a customized token for that so and they're glow in the dark yes no they're not they're not glow in the dark <laughs> sorry it's just we're coming up on halloween and i just no it's this. halloween tomorrow it's halloween eve yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. at the time of this recording at the time by the yes, time we put this up it will be halloween so or, happy halloween yes, probably or later send us some um, swedish fish yeah, halloween. if you have extras <laughs> 
So I thought I wanted to touch also on Empires of the Void 2 a little bit, in case anyone is curious about that. Um, so when people say that uh, doing custom miniatures, like plastic miniatures in the game, slows down production, they are right. <laughs> um, but in in this case, it really hasn't slowed down production too much. It's It's just like... It definitely has added an extra level of complexity to making this game. And we're very happy with how they've turned out. We had a lot of concerns, which is why it took us so many years to even put miniatures in games. Yeah. You know, we've had games that have less than quality miniatures, or you have your favorite ships and all the bases break off of them, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, we did our best to design miniatures that would that would work well in the game and that would last so yeah. we're we're really feeling good about this game. Yeah, and and we had we went through a few changes through the production. Like first they were just ships that sat on like a round base. And then we had like suggestions and requests during the the Kickstarter campaign that they had like a little tray that could hold your guys. And so, uh we did that. <laughs> and also we we ended up separating the base from the the starship so you, so it's a little easier to store. And um, it's also better, like, it's it's easier to, like, customize, I guess. Some people, I think, might make their own bases or, you know, it's probably easier to paint them and everything. It's just a lot better to be able to separate them like that. Um, so I'm really excited about the miniatures. I think they turned out really well. And right now they are assembling the games. They're doing final assembly. And they will ship from our uh, our printer, Panda Game Manufacturing, pretty soon. Um, I So originally uh, we had a December delivery date. And I don't think we're going to hit the December delivery date, just to let everybody know. <laughs> but uh, it shouldn't be too much longer after that. Like You're not going to be waiting months to get it. Yeah, and if you want to check out what the game components look like, we have an unboxing video that we did with one of the early production uh, copies that is up on our website now on the Empires of the Void 2 page on redravengames.com. So if you want to go check that out. Yeah, yeah, definitely go look at that. So one thing I should mention is originally we expected this game to fit into a um, the, the same box that we use for Near and Far and Above and Below. It's that standard square size box. Um, it's like a 12 by 12 size. And uh, we had to make the box bigger. Yeah. <laughs> we had, during production, we had like, we, we tried to fit everything in there with the miniatures and all the pieces. And this box is just so loaded with stuff that it the lid did, did not go down. So we ended up making the box about, I can't remember, it's like 20 millimeters. Uh, deeper which doesn't sound like a lot but when you have it in front of you compared to our other games it really does feel like a heftier <laughs> oh yeah like start doing product. your reps because when you get this yeah. delivered it's it's heavy it's a big awesome yeah. heavy package i'm always like trying to fit so many of our games in that standard box size but this time it just didn't make it i mean it still is that square though so it still fits like um it's still the 12 by 12 fit it's just deeper, so... Yep. Yep, uh, that's it. 
So, um, you know, it's been a long time since we've done this. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we have uh, a bunch of questions, but I did want to go or and talk. Or a tip, tip, tip of the week. Or a tip of the week. I don't think we have a tip of the week this time. <laughs> okay. But I did want to go and talk about some games that we've played. And I'm now... sure we all have plenty of <laughs> games to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I have quite a list because it's been a long time, but I'll try to limit it to some, but I don't know quite how long this section will be, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about board games and video games, so uh, tune out whenever you want at this point, uh, just yeah. to, just as a warning. <laughs> if you're just here for the news, we're just going to be talking about our uh, game opinions from now on, so... Yeah, yeah. so... Um, what uh, let's start with uh, let's start with Brenna. What what's a recent game that you've played that uh, you want to talk about? Well, on the on the tabletop side of things, I recently picked up the new edition of Paranoia, which is oh, okay. a uh, it's like a tabletop RPG. So it's like along the lines of Pathfinder or D and D. Yeah, yeah. But this version of it, this new edition, kind of makes it more board gamey. Like it adds some more board game elements to it. Uh, so the, the basic premise of Paranoia is that it's a dystopian sci-fi thing where it's post-apocalyptic, the world's been destroyed, everybody lives in these sort of underground bunkers uh, in this place run by this paranoid computer. So all the humans are clones and have multiple clones of themselves. So you have like seven clones of yourself, which is good because you're going to die quickly and often (laughs) and be replaced by those clones. Because this computer has total control over this whole system and is basically insane and constantly paranoid (laughs) and thinks that everyone is out to get him. And if you commit treason, then like the sentence is death, but practically anything you do is treason and you're constantly kind of like backstabbing the other players like to get uh to get ahead with the computer yourself to impress him and stuff uh and what this new edition some of the things that it adds uh some of the sort of board gamey innovations include these custom dice where every time you roll dice to do any action you also roll what's called the computer dice And the computer dice mostly just has regular numbers on it. It's a regular six-sided die, except one side of it has the face of the computer on it. And any time you roll, if that computer comes up, then that means the computer himself is going to come and intervene with whatever's happening. (laughs) So, like, the computer ostensibly is this uh, noble overlord who wants to help out his citizens. So he'll come try to help you. But usually when he helps, (laughs) it doesn't go very well. It, like, makes things worse. Or it means he's suddenly paying attention to you, which is bad because you might accidentally commit treason and get killed. Like, or all these sorts of things. So every time the computer dice comes up, the, like, the... Game Master will narrate what happens with the computer coming and interfering. And also, you will lose a point of moxie, which your moxie kind of represents how in control you are of, like, yourself, like, how calm you are. So if you lose all of your moxie, that means your character flips out. And you have to narrate this, like, breakdown that you have where everything goes <laughs> everything goes to crap. So that's kind of fun. And then the other more sort of board game type element to it is now it has cards included in it, which have uh, actions on them or items or things that you can use in combat. And how the combat system actually works is that on the top of your card, you have a number. 
So every time you get into a combat round, everyone will play a card face down all at once. And then the uh, game master will count down from 10. And if you have a number that matches, like say you have seven, when the game master gets to seven, you'll say, oh, that's me. That's my turn. And then you'll go and you'll take your action. But you don't actually have to reveal your card unless someone else calls you out, like unless they call your bluff. So you theoretically can lie about what number you have. But if someone else calls you out and you were lying, you lose your turn. But if they call you out and you were telling the truth, it goes badly for them. So it's this fun sort of bluff mechanic built into the turn order of the combat rounds. Wow. This sounds really innovative. It really is. It does a lot of, it has a lot of unique mechanics. Huh. Uh, And it works really well for the game that it is because like Paranoia at its heart was always a sort of a quick and dirty game. Like you're going through, you're dying a lot. You're not going to be in this for the long haul You're not making it like 20 level like D&D. Yeah, you're not going to. play for 100 hours or whatever. Yeah, you're not going to be super attached (laughs) to your character because they're going to die quickly. And so building into the game, uh, these elements like things that are going to uh, come in and screw you, uh, screw you up, like the computer dice, or ways to lie in the turn order, or yeah. like. And it does seem very like board gamey influence. Exactly. Like, yeah. It's like with the whole there. card, like the secret card playing, and the yeah, and the die with the computer. I mean, exactly. Totally it's very, very board game esque. Um, the other fun thing is that actually in the character creation, when you're initially drawing up your characters, you can kind of hurt each other that way too. Because every time you take a positive stat in some skill, like say you give yourself like plus five in guns, then the person to your left has to take negative five in guns. So every time you give yourself a positive, someone else gets a negative. Really? And you go around until you've all generated your stats that way. So again, it's kind of building in like already backstabbing each other and being resentful of each other before you even start playing the game, but in like a fun, playful way, you know? Yeah. Is there, so there's not like a winner though. It's just like players no. are kind of... They're, yeah, because so that's still what like, I was going to ask. It sounds so much more competitive than the normal yeah. RPG, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. It's still cooperative because you still have a mission goal that you'll get rewarded like XP for if you succeed in it. So you don't want the computer to kill off yeah. everyone. You don't you don't all want to fail. <laughs> but you can but it's not even. It's not an even spread. So you do kind of want to get ahead yourself because if you throw someone else under the bus, maybe they'll get an XP penalty from the computer, but you'll get a bonus for having oh, okay. reported a traitor. Oh. You know, like addictive <laughs> <laughs> computer. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. So you're kind of and oftentimes uh, your character can belong to like a secret society, which is automatically treasonous, but that will give you other like sort of secret hidden goals that you want to succeed at for your secret society that you'll get some benefits for if you reach that. But if other people can prove you're a member of a secret society, then, you know, they'll report you for treason, mm-hmm. etc. So there's so there's the goal that everyone's trying to achieve together, but people also have their own goals and kind of want to get ahead on their mm-hmm. own as well. Interesting. So, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting game. Huh. Cool. Actually, so we're... We're going to play right into this uh, post-apocalyptic theme because Mallory and I recently played two post-apocalyptic games. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why we have all these uh, games. You don't know why? 
Ryan's secret obsession is the theme I, of post-apocalyptic. I do love the theme, and it's funny because that we Mad haven't. Max I know, I, I really do, and we've never that. made a game with that theme. Oh, but we've I, tried though. We've designed oh, plenty, and then they years. all end up <laughs> I don't know. different. Yeah, but uh, so the uh, the first one we played was Fifty uh, First State, which is a it was like a re-implementation. Well, it was like a re a second edition. From the old game, because yeah. we played the yeah. old game, and it's also um, kind of a re-implementation of uh, Imperial Settlers, which came from 51st State. So, <laughs> it started with the original 51st State, and then, uh, uh, you know, it went to um, Imperial Settlers, and now there's this new 51st state and we i really liked it actually it's a really great game it's like an empire building card game set in this uh you know this uh destroyed world and there are a whole bunch of factions but it's cool because the cards they have so many different combinations and the reason i was interested in the original one when we first bought it is because i love race for the galaxy so much and the game plays I, i thought it would play very similarly but we didn't really get into that first edition of 51st state it was like it was like really it it was like hard to it seemed like really complicated and it was hard to get my machine going and maybe if i had spent more time with it i would have liked it more but this one was a lot easier to get into and uh it's cool because each card has like three ways you can interact with it so let's say i have a card that's like it's like um ruins or something so i can uh i can either Let's see, help me remember. Well, you so can either, on the bottom, you yeah. can flip it over and you can use it to kind of As a trade. boost your product. Oh, it's well, like it's your like trade, a route. trade route. But yeah. yeah, so you get to produce that. And it's at like the end an income. Round. And then there's a, you can, you can like rate it. And then if you rate it, you like get rid of the card, but you get the resources on the mm-hmm. card. And then the third way to interact with it is you can build it. So you can like add it to your empire. And uh, I love the combos that you can make. And it seems, you know, really complex and well, interesting for the complexity and... it's really thematic yeah like the fact that all those three um options just play right into the theme is yeah. so fun because it immerses you and yet it's still that fun like tweak your machine and get it perfect yeah. so you can you know beat someone out on the numbers right but you feel like you're playing through this story instead yeah. of just a spreadsheet yeah right and yeah I... that does sound really fun i always like multi-use cards it gives you so many options yeah, that I would say that's definitely in like one of my favorite um, mechanics. Yeah, game mechanics. But this I'm one trying played to even, it really well yeah. too. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just a sleek iteration of that mechanic. I just really yeah, it was fun. good. And that's... even our brother or Ryan's brother, my brother-in-law, who is really picky about games. Yeah. And very angry if there's too much luck. He loved it too. So we had a good yeah. really good time. It's by uh, Ignacy uh, Chevichek. I can't quite remember how to say his name. I think that's it. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, yeah, I, so let's just—I'll I'll just tie this right in because we also played Wasteland Express Delivery Service, which is basically Mad Max the board game. Nice. So it's like Fury Road the board game. So <laughs> so cool. <laughs> um, but it's a little—it's definitely like a, more of a Euro lean to that than you would ex- more than you would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have everybody has their own car and their own character and is it it more like a is it a character yeah it's like a character and and you you go around the you make this wasteland with these uh 
octagonal tiles, which is interesting. It's usually always hex hexagonal, but uh, these ones, like, you fit the hex the octagons together, and then there are these little squares between them, um, and that's where you put, like, the little outposts that you can visit. So it makes a really interesting map, but it's a, I have never seen that before. I thought it was really great. But in the game, you know, you go around and you fight raiders and you get... It's a pick up and deliver game, so you're picking up stuff and you're taking it to other places. Um, but I thought, uh, you know, the theme really was, was great in the game and it was really easy to get into. It's got tons of tokens, but the coolest thing about it are, is the insert. So this, this game comes oh with like... <laughs> These plastic inserts that are like... It's like an it's insert like, skyscraper. Yeah, it's like, wow. like four it levels of plastic custom inserts. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's like, a, <laughs> it's like a building. So you're pulling these out and, and it's cool because there's like a little spot for all these tokens. And there's one place that's like the mod shop that you can use to upgrade your vehicle. And it has just all these different upgrades in these little rows and... Yeah, so it's not just storage for game end. It's not just pack it up and have it nice and neat. It's, yeah. You pull these out and they play into the game. So you have, you know, the mod shop that sits in one corner and all of the different mods you can buy are displayed really well. But you can also just throw that lid back on and put it right back into the box when you're done. So for the amount of options in this game, like the theme in this game is really well um fleshed out you can put all these different mods on your truck and you can have all these different you know types of goods that you turn into other things and you can deliver atom bomb or you know nuclear bombs yeah. across the wasteland <laughs> and you've got radioactive i mean everything's going on but there's not too much fiddling i mean once you unpack that box and all of the good or all of the pieces are in their slots in the insert then you're good to go game after game. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. That sounds really convenient. Yeah. It's a cool <laughs> game. Especially, it's a big box, too. I mean, it's like yeah, it's, Empires of the Void size, It's bigger, size, it's, I think right? it's bigger than that. Bigger yeah, box? it's like a deep box. Oh, wow. Box. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. big. It's cool, but it's very playable. You know, It looks like it's going to be an eight-hour thing, but it's it's not, you know. That sounds awesome. It's just a few hours. So. Yeah. Not even, let's see, how long did it take us? I'd I say mean, two. It's, it's a little it over two. Maybe it didn't quite take us two. So, but yeah, yeah, it was yeah. not as intimidating to learn or play as it was overwhelmingly cool to look at and experience. So yeah. I always like that balance. Yeah. That's you know? good. Yeah. So well, uh, I've played a lot of video games since we last recorded the podcast, but um, one that might be interesting to talk about is I've played a couple of different golf games because there's a few different new golf games that have come out. Um, everybody's golf and golf story. Wait, I golf? have I have seen. Have you yeah. ever, okay, <laughs> I've I, seen golf story. Yeah, I yeah. Saw you that. play golf games. <laughs> well, this is news to I me. Do, I do. I must not have listened to. I it. play golf in real life, not for a few years, but I was on my junior high golf team. So oh. <laughs> wow. I'm played, a golfer. I've only played golf like two times, and it's been a long time. It's fun. I really like golf, but uh. What they're very different games, even though they're both kind of like cartoonish, lighthearted golf games that have come out recently. So everybody's golf is for the PlayStation Four, and then Golf Story is for the Switch. Oh yeah, Golf Story is really interesting because it's a golf RPG. So it's like pixel, it's pixelated art style, and you've got a storyline that you're 
playing and also like a bunch of side quests and stuff. So you go around and you get quests to like defeat certain people in golf or win a tournament or like some people will just want you to uh, like feed the fish in the lake. And how you do that is by hitting with your golf club bits of fish food into specific (laughs) areas where the fish are like goofy stuff like that. And the, the basic golf mechanics in that are pretty fun. So like basically how most golfing in video games works is that it's like a meter that you hit a button multiple times Mm. and how it works in golf story is that you hit, so you hit the button the first time and then you hit it a second time to get the power that you're hitting it at. Mm -hmm. And then the third time you try to hit it as it comes back down the meter at the exact precise moment to get your accuracy. Okay. So interesting. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty like intuitive system. Once you get the hang of it, like you can kind of get a feel for the timing of it. Mm. And I actually think that the, the basic golf mechanics and golf story are pretty easy, but there's this disc golf that you do. So like frisbee golf instead. And the mechanics of that make no sense to me. I actually got stuck <laughs> in the game because I got to a part where you had to do disc golf and I couldn't do it. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't do it at all. Because how it, how it works is you hit the button just to throw the frisbee, but then you have to manipulate it in the air. and you So you have to hit left and right on your D-pad, but what left and right count as like on the screen is dependent on which direction your character is facing. And I can't reorient my brain well enough to figure out what left and right is, depending on where my character is facing. So that's So do you have the option of starting with Frisbee golf, or does it just throw you into it mid-game? It it throws you into it mid-game, because it's, (laughs) like I said, it's like an RPG, so it gives you, like, quest lines. And at some point in the main quest, it's like, well, we have to get to this area but these, like, stuck-up Frisbee golfers won't let us go here <laughs> until you go beat them. I mean, this proves, like, everything could be made into an RPG. It's true. <laughs> it's tr- it really is. Garbage collecting the RPG. Ooh, Absolutely. I play that one. Absolutely. <laughs> but then, uh, so everybody's golf, on the other hand, isn't an RPG, and it doesn't really have much of a story mode. It has, like, a single-player mode, but it's where you're just trying to, like, progress through tournaments and stuff. Um, everybody's golf is interesting though because it has one of the best character creators that I've ever seen it's like very robust with a lot of really good options you can make like and you can make like eight different characters on one account just to mess around with the character creator (laughs) which is fun and you can like earn money to buy new clothes and stuff but uh (laughs) the actual golf mechanics it's kind of a similar system to golf story where it's the three button push where you you know hit the button, then you set the, the, how far you hit it, and then you try to get the accuracy. But it's somehow significantly harder than in Golf Story. Mm-hmm. Like, the timing of it is harder to get down. But weirdly, because of how it works and because you can't really know as precisely where your golf ball is going to go, it feels more like real golf to me. Like, it puts me in the same headspace as real golf. Because in real golf, you also kind of have to kind of try to get a zen attitude and not think about it too much 
and just kind of go with the flow of it and the feel of it to do well. And then once you start thinking about it too much and obsessing about it, you're going to miss all the time and you're going to do really badly. So you, so it like kind of puts me in the same headspace as actual golf, which is interesting. That's cool. That's kind of how bowling is. I was yeah. just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> the harder I try and the more I learn, the crappier I Because for Because yeah. for real life golf, it's your form that matters more than like how hard you hit it. And you kind of have to learn how a correct swing feels in order to hit it well. It's like yoga. It, yeah, it really, it really is in a lot of ways. So you have to kind of get that to get the timing of the meter down in everybody's golf, too, is you kind of got to take a deep breath and try to get the feel of it and not try too hard or you're going to miss and uh, hit a wild slice that goes flying off into a into a bunker and then be stuck in the sand, you know. So this isn't like Wii Sports, right? Are you sitting to do these golf swings? Yeah. Or do you stand? Like, is there a mode you get into if you stand up that's easier to play? Or no, you... it's there aren't any motion controls for either game. It's all buttons. Yeah. But... And it's probably better for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it would be way harder to be precise with uh, actual motion yeah. control. I, you know, I'm actually, I think I'm a fan of motion controls more than the average person. I like uh, motion controls specifically for aiming. In any game yeah. that has shooting in it, yeah. uh, I like to have the motion controls for the for the like aiming. Yeah. And then I can be more accurate than I can with just a joystick. Yeah, yeah. that would help me in playing games like Uncharted, where <laughs> I cannot move the camera, I cannot aim, I can't do yeah. both at the same time, and shooting while moving the camera and aiming with two yeah. joysticks, it just like that is breaks very tough. my brain. You know, the double joystick thing, because I grew up playing Goldeneye on Nintendo 64, and that was like my first, one of my first ones. I actually played Dark Forces before that, and Doom, so in those games... It's really hard to aim, like, up and down. Mm-hmm. You're just moving and you just shoot. And then I, I sort of missed the trance, like, when, when everything changed to the double joystick. Like, oh, every time I would play it, I just couldn't do it. It was so, uh, I would just, I would just get murdered, you know. And it took years to finally get that skill. But yeah. it's definitely a... I've never gotten a hold of the, a hang of the double joystick. Yeah. I actually did recently play, since you mentioned it, um, Uncharted, but I played the newest Uncharted Lost Legacy. Oh, I have that, but I haven't played it. Oh, it's so good. I loved yeah. it. But yeah, I had to play it on the easiest difficulty because I can't, I can't do shooters that well. Not <laughs> not like real serious shooters <laughs> without yeah. motion controls. And Mel, you did that too. You played Uncharted on the easy on easy mode. I too. did. Yeah. And I inched along. Yes. But I with anything that's a shooter, I am much more familiar with the red screen of death than I am with any sort yes. of progress. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> just Yeah. I don't know. Well and I, I didn't grow up playing video games, so we were a strictly tabletop house in my family. <laughs> Lost Lost Legacy is more uh, stealth focused than a lot of Uncharted games. Oh, okay. So it is actually possible to get through it just just sneaking hiding. around, but I did a bad job of that too. I also was not very good at that. Ended up getting in a lot of firefights just because I was bad at the sneaking. <laughs> they make it hard. Like, in, is it called Drake's Revenge? No, what's it called? The, the four, uh, fourth yeah. one. 
I don't know. Uncharted yeah, 4. Something about Drake, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you can sneak through a lot of that game, but if you want to successfully sneak, you have to be really good. Yeah. It's yeah, almost yeah. just as hard to just fight your way through it. I, li- I, I like the sneaking. It's like more of a challenge, honestly. It's funner. Yeah. That's why I was always disappointed when I got caught and it was just like, an all out oh, fire I fight. So I was like, oh, sneaking was more fun. <laughs> but. But I really like, one thing that's cool about Lost Legacy is that it's, the main characters is are two women. And you don't often get two women oh, yeah, in like a that. fun sort of buddy action story yeah. kind of a thing. That's true. There's always so the female token sidekick. Yeah. Or like the interaction between. Yeah. What's that rule we just read? Because we, um, we watched Blade Runner. Uh, and there was the yeah. rule, I forget what it's called, but uh, it's, it's that films have to pass a certain test to... It's Make talking about two the Bechdel women. test. Yeah, do two yeah. women Bechdel. talk? Okay. Uh, is there a scene where two women speak to each other and they're not talking about a guy? Yeah, like another man. Yeah. yeah. And someone said that the movie, like I think there was some argument, like it does. Some people say it does. Some people say that it doesn't. But uh, yeah, yeah. But anyway. it's it's that's always interesting because it just shows the trend among Hollywood films that so few can pass it that there's so few movies that have two women who talk about something other than a man. But yeah, but a movie passing that doesn't necessarily mean it's automatically feminist because that's like a very low bar. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if we opened up that can of worms, oh, yeah. goodness, can of worms. oh yeah. yeah. There's but yeah, there's many cans cool of worms, but it's a really but neat uncharted. it's a really neat game because of that. It's a fun story, fun characters. I cool. really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I want to play it. It's it's sitting wrapped. It's still wrapped in plastic. Oh, yeah. on <laughs> well, it's nice because it's, it's short. Yeah, oh, I yeah. like short games personally. Yeah. That's why I play a lot of indie games. Yeah, but uh, this one is like AAA game, so it's that AAA quality. Yeah, but in like. 15 hours instead oh. of 60 so it's like or instead of 30 so yeah. it's it's a nice experience because i like i like that smaller package personally yeah i rarely finish games there's some i do finish exactly but like, i don't know and honestly i sometimes i almost get to the end and i'm just like okay this one this one <laughs> is one that you can finish because it's shorter <laughs> Uh, the other the other game I've been playing is the exact opposite of that, which is that I finally picked up and I'm seriously playing Mass Effect Andromeda. Like, oh, I'm finally yeah. deeply diving into it. There is too much content in that game. That's my biggest gripe with it. Really? There's too much stuff. Like, every, like, after every priority mission, you unlock a whole new planet that you have to explore, that you have to, like, terraform, and there's, like, a million different side quests on it. None of them it's are really related hard to the main keep characters. Track of everything. There's so much to keep track of. I haven't even gotten into the crafting system almost at all because it's so complex. Yeah. And I just haven't bothered. And like Did honestly, you could cut the side quests by half and it would probably be a better game. Oh my There's gosh. too much to do and all the stuff to do doesn't have that much substance, but I still feel oh. like I have to do it. It's like you get that uh, list of stuff to do. You can't dismiss it so easily. You know, yeah. they throw all this stuff at you. But you're like, no, I've got to understand it. Well, and especially, and especially because a lot of the side quests, they have to do with making the planets livable and yeah. like making this whole project of moving to a different galaxy viable yeah. that I like my personal sense of responsibility is like <laughs> but this but this settler needs my help it's a boring fetch quest but he needs my help I can't just leave him hanging <laughs> friend of the 
of the Crusader. It's <laughs> true. It's like the story element is like making you do boring stuff. Exactly. <laughs> there have been yeah. some. There have been some really fun moments, like some really fun story moments in like the the companion loyalty quests, especially oh. like your teammates will ask you to do things for them, and those quest lines are really fun. Mm-hmm. But all the million side quests are. I could do without them. <laughs> yeah. The, um, I think sadly, did the studio close? Did they... Bioware? No, no, that, 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 not Bioware, but the studio that made it, which was, like, in Canada, like, oh, it was, like, an arm of Bioware that they, like, I think they closed. I don't know, maybe. I know that... Because it didn't sell well. Part of a lot... Mass part Effect of the... Andromeda? Because... No, it, it, it yeah, didn't get Yeah, Andromeda went... Andromeda got a lot of bad reviews that's yeah. it's actually it's better than i expected it to be based on what people said about yeah. it but uh i don't i don't know if they closed i know i heard that they were kind of bleeding a lot of talent while they were making it um. which is part of why it turned out so badly like a lot of their lead writers and stuff quit during the production yeah uh, it's gotta be hard yeah so yeah well cool um Mal, did you have another anything else you wanted to talk about? Oh, well, you know, since I'm always, like, the parent of small children <laughs> contributor here, <laughs> we did play, after Gen Con, we brought back Cobra Paw. Oh, yeah. Which was so much fun. It was this, <laughs> you know, cute little game with, you have two dice, and you have, they're six-sided, they each have, you know, six symbols on each side, and... Um, you roll them and you get combos of those two symbols and they're represented on the dominoes. So every time you roll the dice, you want to find the domino that matches those two symbols and snag it. There's a little um, indent in the middle of the domino and you're playing ninja cats that are trying to snag these these little dominoes. And it was so fun to oh, play. Yeah, the kids love it. And we brought it home and our little one-year-old, like, he... Like, eats the dice. Eats the <laughs> yes, but they're big enough that it actually... I mean, do not use this as a safety rule here. This isn't but, like, safe, folks. This does not... I'm not saying it's safe for infants, but our infant chews yeah, on, on it and it. does not asphyxiate. <laughs> so it is kind of fun because there, there are, like, zero games that you can get out with a one-year-old ever. Yeah. Without constantly worrying about either ruining the cardboard pieces or having the baby choke on something. So anyway, Cobra Pa, it was really fun. Yeah, it was cool. And I was blown away at like, as a game manufacturer, whenever I see like other games that, that have really nice components and charge so little, I'm just blown away like this game. I don't know. How, <laughs> I guess you make so many, right? But it has such nice components got this great it's insert cool, um, it fits perfectly in like flush yeah. with the top it's got you know these beautiful black heavy dice with colored markings on each one i mean they're totally yeah. customized and these dominoes are they're not just plain old dominoes you know they're crafted they're ergonomic yeah. they're really they're just it's very it's nice really production pretty so so and yeah it comes it in a very... hexagonal box and you oh, know wow. cheap what did i pay for it like 15 bucks so some yeah but... it was yeah, it was, it's a hit. beautiful production. Yeah, sounds nice. So, um, real quick, I uh, one recent game I played that um, I was really getting into was a game called Tooth and Tail, and uh, this is like it's like somebody took Starcraft or the you know like the RTS <laughs> um, recipe and then um, made it work 
like with a controller. Mm. Um, so, in a red wall theme. In like a right? well, it's like, like red it's wall like meets, red wall meets uh, Starcraft meets like the Russian start. Revolution. Like, <laughs> oh <laughs> man! Well, you know how to speak my language. No, I haven't heard of it. No, it's really wow. It's it's really cool. Red wall meets the Russian Revolution does appeal to me greatly. So, do you ever play RTS games? Are you not a lot? I have a little bit. Yeah, you should try it. So it's. It's like you only control one character, and that character is like your leader. And you you walk. I I'm playing it on the computer, so I have a mouse. But you it's made. You can tell it. You can use a controller really easily. You walk around and you and you build up like your little farms, and then you build up these little um, hovels where your guys come out, and they're mm-hmm. all different animals. Like there's like a badger guy with like a big machine gun, and there's like a big owl that like um, regurgitates like mice that like fight for you (laughs) there's like a skunk that like you know it's it's basically like a gas like bomb guy and i don't know it's it's really creative and fun but uh what's cool is it it has that you you run around with your leader and you like you wave a flag so if you want your guys to come somewhere you go there and then you like you you like rally them to that point you like wave the flag and then so like all the guys on the map will like go to that point and fight and so there's no, like, micromanagement of guy of units, like in StarCraft, where so much about... Well, I played StarCraft 2 for years, and so much about it, uh, about playing the game, is just being able to move that, click that mouse really quickly, and get the guys in the right place, and shoot the other guys, and, you know. But this is um, more about a macro-style game, and it's a lot about scouting. So, like, if somebody's, like, building up more farms then that means they spent less money on guys, which means that you should fight them. So you're trying to scout to see if they did that. Um, or if somebody's not building any farms and they're just building a whole bunch of guys, that means they're going to rush you. So there's definitely that tension that's still there that StarCraft has, but um, it's more um, the games are quicker and it doesn't have such a huge uh, like learning curve. Um, but I think it still has a lot of depth. So I really like it. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. What platforms are is it for? Uh, for Steam, and I think it's on PlayStation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll um, have to check it out. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that we're about out of time. So, uh, yeah. but thanks for joining us, everybody. Um, please be sure to check out our Kickstarter campaign. There's just a few days left um, for Amber Mines, Near and Far Amber Mines. And uh, you can visit our website, redravengames.com. Yep, you can follow us on Twitter, uh, at Red Raven Game, just one game. Uh, and you can follow me personally on Twitter, at Brenna underscore Asplund. Yeah. And uh, hope you have a good week. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Nevermore. <laughs>